you know what inclusive and equitable practices looks like in a school? Do you know its impact on teachers and on students alike? Our guests today will actually talk about this and give us a clear vision of what this looks like and the impact of having it and the impact of not having it. Hey, let's talk about it. When you look around and you know somebody needs to stand up and say something, that that somebody may be you. Um, and that translates into every area, every field, every mm-hmm. curriculum they can choose to study. Is just, you know, do the right thing. You know, even when it's have the courage to do the right thing and to stand up and be a leader. Greetings, leaders, and welcome to another episode of Leadership Is Podcast. This is season four, episode three. Uh, I am Jason Muhammad, uh, director and founder of JM Leadership Development. Good morning, and I am Lakivia Johnson, also known as Lucky, the founder and lead education catalyst of STEPS Academic Advising and Education, LLC. So happy you're with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Hello, 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 Principal Kush. So I definitely want to just take some moment here to uh, take a moment here to introduce you. Uh, Principal Nicole Kush is beginning her sixth year in Asheville this fall, leading SILSA, the School of Inquiry and Life Sciences at Asheville, and enjoying her third decade in education. She is honored to be celebrating the amazing Silsa family for these remarkable achievements. One of the top high schools in the Asheville Metro area high schools, according to U.S. News and World Report and Citizen Times. Principal Cush came to Asheville with decades of experience leading inclusivity and equity initiatives at Rutgers University and Northeastern University. She served as a trainer and administrator. She led in Wake County at Green Hope High School and Southeast Raleigh Magnet High School. After 17 years, she continued to expand her reach as an educator when she began a teaching career in New Jersey, serving in Morris County, Newark, and Jersey City. Principal Kush prides herself on her expertise as a social-emotional learner, placing the needs of the faculty, students, and the community she serves as paramount. We are proud and excited to have her here with us today on Leadership Is. How are you doing today, Miss Nicole? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. That intro sounded wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here. Jason, kick it off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, uh, once again, wonderful uh, opportunity to talk uh, uh, to to a dear person uh, in education. Uh, so, you know, Nicole, um, got a question for you. So, you know, really besides, you know, what uh, Lucky said about you there, you know, really, who who are you and what do you do? Mm. I identify as a servant leader. Um, I became a teacher many, many moons ago and fell in love with the concept of just working with young people and trying to um, help guide them as they were exploring the different trajectories of their lives. Um, I became an administrator about 10, over 10 years ago. 
And um, that gave me the opportunity to work a little bit more closely with the students and the family. Because when you're a teacher, some students open up to you, but teachers have no idea. It's sort of like the tip of the iceberg of what students and families are going through. So, um, yeah, servant leader and um, lover of my community. Awesome. So you have a lot of experience leading in various communities, you know, as you just mentioned, being a servant leader. Um, so what is an accomplishment or, uh, you know, multiple accomplishments you're most proud of? And what challenges did you have to overcome to realize those accomplishments? I think my greatest accomplishment is, um, especially being at SILSA, raising our graduation rate primarily because I have a personal obsession with just getting all of my students across the stage. Mm. Um, we can't teach students the lesson of what you could make with a high school diploma versus without. Um, mm. We can't push that in their face enough. Um, college is not for everybody. Entrepreneurship right. is not for everybody. Right. You know, just like all the other trajectories that they go into. I have students that just have so many magnificent careers and, and pursuits. But the reality is it all starts with that high school diploma and just getting it done. And that's kind of become my personal obsession. Well, shout out to the class of 2023. I was going to save yeah. this until the very, very end. But since you have already brought this up and brought the students in, we know they're graduating on June 10th and we want to congratulate them all and yeah. you for being part of their support system as they got to this success milestone in their lives. So while attending SILSA, I, I understand that leadership um, was a big part of their curriculum. Now that they are graduating, what do you want them to remember as they continue growing as leaders and young adults? The power of their ripple. Never Ooh. underestimate the power of your influence in speaking up, speaking out, no matter what area you pursue. Um, mm. Just being the one, to, it, when you look around and you know somebody needs to stand up and say something, that that somebody may be you. Mm. Um, and that translates into every area, every field, every mm. curriculum they can choose to study is just, mm -hmm. you know, do the right thing. You know, even when it's have the courage to do the right thing and to stand up and be a leader. Um, many students suffer from anxiety. That is a huge thing right now mm. in, um, in our levels of mental fitness. I don't like to say mental health because I like to say mental fitness. And a lot of students and, and adults are dealing with that anxiety. And I definitely blame the pandemic for bringing some of that about. Mm -hmm. But just do the right thing and make good choices be good people and, and bring other people along with you. Remember to look back and reach back. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then listening to you saying the power of your ripple. Yeah. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's a profound statement. Like that's mm -hmm. really talking about, you know, the impact uh, and influence because we believe that, you know, leadership is influence and service. Mm -hmm. And so the, the power of your ripple is a profound statement. I'm going to have to use that uh, uh, as one of the subject matters or we have to use that as a subject matter for the Leadership Biz podcast. Um, so, but for me, what has been some of your, uh, you know, your challenges and how have you or how did you, uh, 
uh, get past those challenges in, you know, producing the great work that you've produced. One of the greatest challenges that I face, and I think many principals, especially of schools where there are high achieving students, is the concept of not being um, honest with academical resources needed. Um, there's a thing called resource hoarding, which is a huge problem right now. The same people that'll be out with the Black Lives Matter signs in front of their houses and waving flags saying that they're pillars of equity are inside literally putting their knees on the necks of administrators to give their 4.0 GPA students um, accommodations that they really don't need. And that's, mm. so what, what I mean is it's, it's the resource hoarding, the way I analogize it is if I stepped on the football field and gave my team a shot of steroids before they played, it's an academic performance enhancement. Any student that has mm. over 4.0, they've had straight A's all through high school. And now junior year, many parents are applying for um, a 504 accommodation. They're paying doctors to get, or going to see doctors and Doctors are liberally, liberally diagnosing anxiety as an other health impairment. So these mm -hmm. families are trying to get 504s or even IEPs when they don't need them. Mm. Uh, and I, I take it that, you know, coming out of the education space, now I will say that I um, am not highly informed about the IEP plans, but I do understand that those are the individual um, education learning plans for students who have learning differences and who really need extra support. Um, am I hearing you say that some people are kind of pretending to need extra support, which is making it hard to support those students who really do? Everybody, this is Lucky, the founder and lead education catalyst for Steps Academic Advising and Education LLC. We sponsored this week's episode of Leadership Is a New Era, and we are so happy we did. We're even more happy you took the time to listen. Thank you so much for checking this episode out. Please be sure to learn more about Steps by visiting our website at www.stepsacademicadvising.com. We do more. Much success. Um. The biggest issue, if you look to the Varsity Blues case with Lori Laughlin and yes, Felicity Yes, I know Huffman. exactly what you're talking about, being okay. an educational consultant myself. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, the gentleman who guided them, and I use that word lightly because he just corrupted the entire educational system mm -hmm. um, in terms of the cheating. That was one of the caveats of his plan to get the kids to get academic plans so they can take these high stakes assessments, SATs mm -hmm. and ACTs without time. Rich so, Singer is his name. Uh-huh. Yep. So you know exactly who I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, and that's trickled down to Asheville. I'm sure it's happening everywhere across the country right now. Um, so I don't think it's a unique problem. But when I do speak to, I serve on a state board and I was meeting with some superintendents on the state board. No building principals were in this meeting. And we were kind of in a breakout session. And I was discussing this and they were like, well, we've never had that problem. And I'm like, just wait, it's coming. Um, but yes. 
false diagnoses or a diagnosis as simplistic as anxiety. The reality is the purpose of these tests is to raise your anxiety to see how you perform under pressure. We're, you mm. know, of a certain age, I believe I'm older than y'all, but the reality is we all took the SAT or the ACT if we went to college, right? Mm -hmm. Or some sort of high stakes test, even for grad school. And mm -hmm. students who don't need this enhancement are strong arming. The families are literally strong arming, threatening to sue or filing cases. I've had families file cases with the Office of Civil Rights. I have families saying that I don't give white kids IEPs. I don't do it by color. I do it by need. And my teachers are the mm. experts. When my teachers tell me this student does not need those accommodations, I'm going to trust that teacher. That's why they're a part of the team because they're with that student. And at SILSA, if it's a ninth and 10th grader, they're with them all year long because we're our freshman and sophomore scholars are on a year long A day, B day, B day schedule. Mm -hmm. And so these teachers really build relationships with my scholars. And when my teachers say that student doesn't need a plan, then I believe them. And that's the problem. Doctors are basically prescribing IEP plans when a doctor does not work with the student in an educational environment. When they don't, they all they often they rely on the references of teachers, but sometimes they're just overriding that reference, mm -hmm. so the parents can strong arm and get what they want. Okay. I want to say first. First, Principal Kush, I want to thank you for listening to your teachers because I have um, several friends who are teachers and mm -hmm. during COVID specifically, um, a lot of them resigned from their positions, um, just explained, you know, being in horrible conditions and part of it being is because teachers weren't being heard. Administrators right. weren't listening to them. Right. Um, well, thank you for advocating for our teachers and for listening to them. Thank you for saying that. And I think that's also the mark of an exceptional educational leader is seasoned experience as a classroom teacher. I mm -hmm. still think and function as one, but I know and understand my disconnectedness from. I mean, I haven't been in the classroom in like over 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, but the reality is I taught for 17 years. I mm -hmm. did the job. I know what it requires. And I think mm -hmm. I did a darn good job at it. So, mm -hmm. and I work in a school where I have the most seasoned veterans. Mm -hmm. And for example, Asheville City just hired their newest superintendent who only taught for five years and he was never a building administrator. That, when we make decisions to pay people almost a quarter of a million dollars to lead a school district who doesn't have that kind of experience that makes me very nervous because you're leading teachers. I can't go be a judge because I've never been a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So you should not be allowed to be a superintendent if you were not a principal, if you were not a teacher and if you didn't do it for a long time. And I'm going to be honest, just for me, I didn't really know what I was doing and hit my stride till about year 11. Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying like, Year 11, that's when I could say I'm a seasoned veteran and I felt comfortable to call people on their experience as they were trying to manage me, where I found my voice as a leader in the building, as a leader in my classroom, and a leader in the community, because the students deserve better than somebody who taught for a year and now all of a sudden they want to lead. You've got to be in the trenches. You've got to have boots on the ground. 
Yeah, that's an excellent perspective because really, you know, leadership has to be intentional. That's mm-hmm. in the, outside of the educational realm, you know, in corporate America, you know, uh, Gallup has a poll that says that they promote the wrong talent match into leadership positions 80 yeah. of the time. Which I agree. <laughs> why people quit their jobs. What was that number you said? 82% from 82%. a Gallup poll for corporate America yeah. in education is probably 98%. And that's why you can't keep good teachers. So there you go. Well, yeah. I, I 100% agree with that data. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I would say one thing that really stood out to me as I was learning more about you was that you host a series called, um, or a series about productive struggle. Can you tell us more about what productive struggle is and about how both that and a growth mindset shows up in leadership, both in your students, in in your faculty, and in your leadership spaces in education? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for noticing that because that is part of the common language that came out of my vision team. Um, I created a vision team when I first got to, well, in meeting with teachers, because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that administrator where I said, I really want to let the teachers feel like they have a stake in what's happening here. Mm -hmm. My school improvement team, I don't make any decisions without them, except for discipline. Other than that, anything that's going to impact teachers, the school improvement team has a say. Mm -hmm. And one of my teachers who we call him an OG, because he was with SILSA when it first opened like 16 (laughs) years ago, um, he was, he was uh, expressing his frustration. And I, and he's like, you know, we've lost our, our vision. This is pre pandemic, by the way. Um, And, you know, he's like, we're kind of lost our way. And I just want to see us get that back. And so I became very intentional about doing that and learning the history of Asheville City Schools and of SILSA and also of the culture war that I have to battle every day because Mm -hmm. SILSA opened up in a time where it was literally someone in the office, a good old boy, just skimming the top kids and Mm -hmm. Asheville High School teachers were resentful of that. That is Mm -hmm. certainly not the case any longer. However, I so my teachers are dealing with a different student. He's seen the change. He's seen the lack of control that the administrator has. Mm-hmm. And I will say probably I have the least amount of control of my school than any other two white gentlemen who were before me as the leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's frustrating, but we have to function within that. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic, I learned how so many students were like excelling, like kicking butt because they do well learning online. And then I saw some students and families tanking, like just not, they were coming apart. And what I did during the pandemic was because I felt like, what am I going to do? I don't have kids. Because SILSA is pretty high tech, we were all ready to switch into um, online learning pretty easily because most Mm -hmm. of the teachers were using Canvas anyway. Mm -hmm. So that was an easy transition for us. But then it left me as a leader, like, what am I supposed to do? My teachers are teaching class from home or coming into the building. And so I just called every family. 
And I like I started with my seniors. I had my assistant start with the freshmen and we met in the middle and it was, what do you need? Do you have enough food? Do you have enough resources? Do you need it? And I had parents literally there were like therapy sessions, but there were also like parents who needed jobs. Some parents who were like, I'm fine. Some parents were like, oh, my gosh, he eats so much. And I'm like, I know because I feed him every day because he's (laughs) in my snack, you know, because sometimes we know the kids the scholars better than the parents do. But at the end of the day, I collected such rich data on how I could be of service to the community that I serve. And that helped me get in touch with the fact that I needed help for those students who were tanking and the parents who were tanking because, because, let's just say, they created the now um, interesting character they have living under their roof all day, every day. They were, you know, they were sending them to us where they could come wreak havoc at school, but now they're wreaking havoc at home and there's no control there. So um, the whole productive struggle series came from my frustration in meeting with my then superintendent who also had never been a principal. And I'm like, dude, I need how to, I need to know how to help these people. And he's like, I can't help you. And I'm like, great. And then you're making triple what I'm making. I'll go figure it out. And I remember doing some reading on a book by Carol Dweck, where she interviewed parents of very productive young people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so what do I need to do? Maybe I can just start sharing little tidbits because I'm a broadcasting teacher, but Mm -hmm. I was also an English teacher. And I know that people don't really like to read that much, Mm -hmm. but if you give them something to watch. So I began curating a series of, it started with articles, but then it got more popular with the videos Uh of just different concepts on the idea of just keep going keep doing, keep pushing through, be relentless in your pursuit of whatever it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, having that growth mindset. So I Mm -hmm. just curated these awesome videos and inspirational chats. Some of them are TED Talks. Some of them are just YouTube Mm -hmm. edited videos. And that I knew I was onto something when I had a scholar address me and say, you think that um, being successful means that everybody gets A's and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, being successful could be that you just got out of bed and you took a shower. I know that's but right. Everybody's that's level right. is different. Now, that's yeah, right. give, me, give me that kid. I'm going to motivate that kid that wants to go to Yale. My mm-hmm. student body president, former student body president, is now a sophomore at Yale. And the other five that I've had are all at Carolina. So, because I'm a Tar Heel too, so I love to make Tar Heels, but <laughs> I, I forgive the one to go to Yale. That's okay. But I mean, I also am intrigued in inspiring the student that struggles getting out of the car. To yeah. come to I can't tell you, even at, at the high school level, how many students I can get out of the car to come into school, but their parents can't. Right. It's, it's crazy to me, but you know. I grew up in a time where I didn't have any options. I just did what my parents said. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's a very different time. <laughs> I think that's a great accomplishment um, mm-hmm. uh, because of the trust factor that's there to for them to say. And it's unfortunate, but fortunate, you know, that uh, they would trust you, you know, and your judgment uh, and leadership uh, to to. To, to follow you into doing what it is that you ask of them to do versus, you know, right. well, not necessarily versus, but really 
uh, in retrospect of what their parents, you know, would maybe ask them uh, to do. So there's a great deal of trust that plays a part uh, in that. And of course, that leads to the beginning of what you were talking about is being a servant leader, Mm -hmm. you know, and so thank you. uh, Thank you for being that. Uh, Well, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Well, I know um, Jason told me that you were working on your doctorate degree. I am also working on a doctorate degree in strategic leadership. I am attending Liberty University and our major focus is about servant leadership. So tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about the doctorate degree you're working on and how you hope to apply servant leadership in that discipline. Well, thank you for asking. Um, this was this is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It's my fourth degree, and I question my life choices daily. Um, I'm not going to lie, but I mean, and it's not because of my program. It's because of what I see the state of education being. I want to be clear about that. I'm working on my um, educational leadership doctorate or the EDD at Western. And um, I've seen a lot of change there because there were some great professors that we had and we've lost some, but there's one who I admire greatly who, you know, kind of brought me over to the bridge. Cause when I was, when I, before I started, he was like, we want you to come. And I was like, um, I'm not going back to school. I already have three degrees. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he was like, we need you as much as, you need us. And I think he was right. Mm -hmm. Being in the program has made me such a better writer. It has such an equity lens to it. I see the flaws with it, but I also see the flaws and I'm able to be critical in a space that's loving and supportive. Um, I can be critical of my my career, my profession, because I think that's the only way we'll make it better is that those of us who are actually in it, recognize the problems. I'm not walking around saying everything's fine. Everything is not fine. And I have developed the reputation of being the one to speak on things not being fine or to put my foot down and say, I'm not doing this. This is why I don't give students with 4.6 GPAs a 504 plan. You Mm -hmm. don't need it. And my superintendent, unfortunately, um, my interim superintendent signed off on it, but I wouldn't. So, cause my name is not going to go in supporting anything like that, you know? So I think being in my doctoral program has helped me be more firm and also age. Um, I'm getting close to the years when I can retire. So I feel a level of protection that many young people don't, but I also want to inspire young people to find that voice because we have too many people in education or, and I'll just speak because that's my field, but there's too many people in our community that look just like me that are sticking the daggers in my back. And my Mm -hmm. biggest cheerleaders don't always look like me. So when we speak about equity, it's not always a black and white thing. It's a clinging, right. right, It's a clinging to white supremacy thing. And I consider myself Mm -hmm. a Pan-Africanist. I'm very pro Black female students, number one, because they look like me the most. Mm -hmm. And I've been called too political for saying that. But I also do mentor a group of young women um, called the Glitter Sisters. And Mm -hmm. this year we had to disband because we just didn't have time to meet because the principal and the administration of Asheville High canceled homeroom. And I had to follow along with that. 
Mm -hmm. um, because I don't get to make all those solid decisions. And as for high as the dog, we're the tail. They make a decision and I have to go along with it. But there were so many other things that forced me to support it because some students that were supposed to be going to do things were not, and they were getting into trouble. And those mm -hmm. numbers upticked. So I understand their decision, but it, it gave it, made it difficult for me to be able to maintain the group. But I did just receive a grant. We, all, we are altering our schedule, and that's going to give me the time to be able to focus on my girls again. Um, and I, I think I missed that piece the most, like being able to just meet with them and bring different um, facilitators in to work with them and to introduce them to things that they may not have ever considered. So now yeah. is your group of glitter sisters, um, a diverse group of young ladies of all races. My then superintendent who hired me, um, I made it abundantly clear that there was an issue with the way black girls were engaging with, with each other in the city. And I was like, okay, I'm going to come up with a mentoring group. But when you say mentoring group, you know, people don't really want to put boots on the ground. They'd rather write a check than actually come in and work with high school students. And I get it. Some of them have smart mouths and <laughs> they're a lot to take. I totally understand. I'm used to it, but a lot of people are not. So I wound up creating, building, I took the group, instead of making it a mentoring group of bringing other folks in, I still brought other folks in, but the focus became building their leadership capacity to be mentors. Because so many of my girls were so dynamic, they were like on the football team, I mean, sorry, on the basketball team, or on a softball team, or they were cheerleaders, or they were in student government, and they were doing all these other great things, mm -hmm. or, you know, building their own clubs. So my whole goal was let me pour into them so they can pour into others. And then young people can see them and be like, I want to be like them. And then we started a, a, a mentoring group where now we've got students who are getting stipends for going into the elementary schools. And it was all based on the model that I brought in with the, with the uh, glitter sisters. So, but when we did start, it was originally just for black girls. Um, then I opened it up. Um, right after the pandemic, when we started getting it together again with Latina girls being included because mm -hmm. our Latina population was growing and there, there was really nothing at the school for them before mm -hmm. two glitter sisters formed a group called Unidos, um, which they started doing wonderful things in the Latin community. But I did open it up um, this past year to anyone who just identifies as a girl. So um, but then we just lost the ability to meet, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of morphed, but it's really therapy for girls who want to build, um, better relationships with other women, better relationships with people and be a better so, training them to be servant leaders. So they understand what it means and what that looks like. Wow. I am just so impressed by that. And I love that. I have never heard of that. Um, similarly, I'd never heard this quote in your signature um, by Rosalind Carter that says, a leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. And I Absolutely. think that in your work, you are doing that. You are influencing, you're teaching others how to influence, especially young women. We need that, um, as Glitter Sister said. So just thank you, you know, for serving us in this way. 
influencing us, teaching us to do the same and just helping us create that ripple that will last a lifetime. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Principal, we will definitely have you on the Leadership Is podcast again. And, <laughs> um, you know, talking about, you know, inclusive and equitable practices in education. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, y'all. Thank you so much for enjoying another episode of Leadership Is podcast with our special guest, Miss Nicole Cush. Who is the uh, leading? She's the leader for the School of Inquiry and Life Sciences at Asheville, better known as SILSA. And she gave us a lot of valuable information, uh, you know, in this in this podcast as it relates to inclusive and equitable practices in education. Hey, thank you so much, Principal Nicole Kush. If you would like to have a half-hour conversation with JM Leadership Development, uh, you can reach out to us at uh, thejasonamohammed at gmail.com, and we will respond promptly. Also remember that leadership is influence and service.